Welcome back, guys, to Clocks on the Stove. Your usual host, myself, Grayson Fisher, with me alongside Mr. Zach Watts. We have an extremely awesome guest today in sports journalist, in particular MMA journalist, and Mr. James Lynch. James, thanks for joining us today, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Uh, this is so cool for me because we've done interviews and then now I'm, I'm on the other end of things. So uh, thank you guys for having me on. And nice to meet you as well, Zach. It's been uh, it's been cool to be a part of this. So uh, yeah, excited to get going. Yeah. So me and James actually met uh, because going into my last fight, I was messaged to talk to you. We did an interview leading into the fight and, you know, we talked a little bit after and I told him, you know, I'm also a sports journalist and it was just two MMA guys talking to MMA and talking sports journalism. And I was like, I'd love to bring you on. And here we are. And, you know, it took some time, but we finally got it done. Yeah. Better late than never, man. So, yeah, happy to be here and a lot going on right now in MMA anyway. Oh, so a good yes, timing, sir. right? And it's perfect, too, because like when football season dies down, we can kind of focus more on MMA. So it's like a it's a good uh, time to be alive. But, yeah, starting us off, you know, one of my favorite fighters of all time, a man that kind of got me into the sport as a competitor, Cowboy Cerrone, just announced his retirement. or He didn't announce retirement. He got inducted to the Hall of Fame. He did. He did retire as well. Um, it was a little, I feel like, fast-paced from his retirement time to his Hall of Fame time. Um, but real quick, before we dive into that, just some of the stats I want to read off on Cowboy. He was 36 and 17. He had 10, 10 knockouts and TKOs, 17 submissions. He had 50 fights under Zufa, which is absolutely insane. Zufa is like uh, the body organization that also hosted the WEC. So that was his WEC fights combined with his UFC fights. 50 fights in general is insane, but at that at that level, which is the highest level of fighting, is uh, unbelievable. 17 submissions, 15, 50 fights on Azufa, second most wins in UFC history. Uh, lost to Jim Miller. Jim Miller took that at 24, Cowboy at 23. Most performance bonuses tied with Oliveira with 18. Most knockdowns at 20. Tied for second with most finishes with Jim Miller at 16. Second most wins in lightweight history with 17. And the third most finishes and UFC lightweight history with 10. There's probably more I can't find on there, but that is everything I gathered. James, what are your thoughts on uh, Cowboy being inducted into the Hall of Fame? I think it's the right move. I know there's some critics and, and, you know, let's talk about kind of the, the other side of it of, you know, what is, what does it mean to be in the hall of fame? And I think one thing we have to talk about, honestly, is that when Cowboy Cerrone got those, you know, title opportunities or, or fights that were bigger, it tended not to go his way, but you know what? I think that the fact that he was so active, I think is something that should put him in the hall of fame in, in itself. I mean, I remember a period where he was fighting, like seemed like five times a year or something. He was the guy that you would call if you needed a backup or you needed someone to, uh, you know, to take a fight. Uh, he'll even fight a friend of his. I The last card that was in Canada, UFC Vancouver, uh, 2000, September 2019. I was there front row for that one because I live here in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, he had to fight Justin Gaethje and it didn't go his way. But I mean, how many guys are raising their hand to fight Justin Gaethje and someone that's also friends with him? So I don't think we'll ever see anyone quite like Cowboy Cerrone in, in his career. You know, I followed Cowboy's career for a very long time. Even before he was in the WEC, uh, there was an old reality show called Tap Out where they used to, back the yeah. old clothing brand, used to go and uh, find like the next big fighter and they had an episode on cowboy cerrone and that was sort of the first time i was exposed to him and then of course we know the great run he had in the wec and then coming over to the ufc um i just think because of his uniqueness that he should be there i, I know it's not always based on merit i mean there's there's steroid users in the hall of fame which i don't agree with uh so i mean if, if the if the criteria is a little bit looser you have to put a cowboy cerrone in there despite the fact he didn't win ufc gold but i think just as you know i'll fight anyone anytime attitude is something that should earn him that honor and, and glad to see him put in yeah, you talk a little bit about the criteria for making the Hall of Fame. And me and Grayson kind of got into it a little bit earlier because people were kind of debating us saying, oh, well, does he, does Cowboy really have like a Hall of Fame resume or does he really deserve to be in? 
But the conclusion I kind of came to, at least for my bare minimum, is if you held the belt at any point in time, you were a cha- or you were a Hall of Famer in my eyes, at least up to this point. I know the sport's kind of growing along. Another point you brought up that I didn't even realize is you kind of look at Cowboys career. We're used to seeing him fight like three, four, even five times a year. Now guys fight once or twice a year, and we think that is like the normal. I mean, back when the UFC was early comings, it was guys were fighting year round. It didn't really matter. I mean, even UFC one and two, it was what the tournaments where you'd fight five fights in a night. Yeah. Five, five yeah. fights a night. So I was kind of interested to hear what you kind of have for like your criteria of doing a guy being in the combat or UFC hall of fame, what you kind of think garners. I know we have our different types like journeymen's we have our champions. What's kind of your point of view for how we should decide who gets into the hall of fame. Well, well my personal opinion, like if we're going by um, like to me, I think the way the criteria is the way the UFC set it up. I don't have an issue with cowboy getting in. Now, if we're doing it based off merit, I don't know if he gets in, if we're going off merit, but then Stefan Bonner shouldn't be in there. There's like, there's a number of fighters that are in the hall of fame where I think you could debate, you know, what did they achieve? Did they get a UFC title? The other issue with doing it just based off winning a UFC title, does Nico Montano get in the UFC hall of fame? Choose the first women's flyweight champion, right? So this is the debate you get into. Um, That's why like the way it's sort of set up now, while I don't agree with it completely, I kind of like the fact that you do see a cowboy get in there because look, if you're fighting five times a year and not to mention some of the competition he had to fight as well, like he didn't have easy fights. I mean, having to fight up a weight class at welterweight to fight at lightweight against you know some of the really good fighters here who we fought he had to fight conor mcgregor which i know was a great payday but that's not an easy fight for anyone so i just think that like him being in i don't have an issue with it i know there was uh one one media member who did like a whole story on how he shouldn't be in and i understand it from the merit standpoint but i think the way it's set up now if you're going to have guys like stefan bonner in there again rest in peace and this is not to single him out specifically i'm sure there's other names if i looked at the list could kind of really nitpick but um yeah i think if i was doing the criteria i would do it more merit-based but because of the way the ufc set it up cowboy cerrone should absolutely be in the hall of fame and glad to see he rightfully is the way i look at it is is Cowboys from a generation of fighters that we will no longer have in the next five to 10 years. He's mm-hmm. part of those guys that aren't, they, they didn't come into fighting because they were an athlete. They didn't come into fighting because they chose to, they were just fighters. You're seeing it die out with Poirier and Jorge Masvidal and the Diaz brothers. That style is kind of dying out because there's no more just like this guy was a good street fighter. Let's get into MMA. No, it's a, it's a a list sport now. So people yeah. are coming into that. So guys like Cowboys, it's kind of the end of their, their time. And I, I understand the merit aspect and I agree with you on that. But we're looking at a sport in which it's not like the NFL where you can be the worst player on your team and win a Super Bowl. This is all on you. And the amount yeah. of champions are so much lesser than the amount of people that have a Super Bowl ring. On top of that, there's a lot of people in the NFL that are in the Hall of Fame that never even went to a Super Bowl. You know, yeah. So looking at it on merit base, it just doesn't really make sense to me. We're also talking about a guy, Cowboy Cerrone, who had two wins in eight days. He had two wins in eight days. Can you name another fighter that's fought? I mean, Chris Lieben had, what, 14 days? James, James Vick, I remember James Vick, uh, if you go look it up, and granted, it's James Vick we're talking about, someone who's not even close to the Hall of Fame, no offense, but I believe he got two wins. He might have actually had the record because he fought two guys, I remember back-to-back in like, I think it was like one card to the other or something, um, but but Cerrone's up there too, and in fact, I might have that in reverse order, but he was one that came to mind because I remember he had like back-to-back fights, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because he had a first-round fit. I can't, I listen, I can't tell you the exact time or exactly what happened, but I know he had a quick first-round finish. They cleared him for a week and they were like, yo, we need a, a guy uh, next week. And he goes, I'll take it. That yeah, and Chimaev's another one. Chimaev, I remember mm-hmm. when he first started his UFC career, he had fights close together as well. But uh, again, this is where, you know, these these debates with the Hall of Fame and stuff, it's tough because, again, there's no like real criteria there. It's not like you have to do this in order to get in. So that's why him being in, I, I have no issue with whatsoever. Yeah. The other thing I want to talk about, too, is we look at, especially in today's MMA, a huge picking your fights. 
Cowboy mm. didn't pick anything. I think he yeah. fought four or five former or current world champions. I mean, e- even on top of that, he challenged the belt between WC and UFC, I believe, four times. So yep. just even getting there to be considered good enough to fight for the belt, I mean, dude, that's that's a that's a merit in itself, in my opinion. You know, um, yeah. obviously, I'm a little biased. Like I said, I I'm a huge Cowboy fan, but I think when you look at it with his records, I mean, I named I think 15 of them. You look at his records. Look at who he's fought. You looked at how he never backed down, and look at what he did for the growth of the sport. One thing we talk mm-hmm. about a lot, James, is you know one reason why Conor McGregor is so big is because he has a whole nation supporting him. With it being an American sport and being in America, you don't really have that like American fighter. It's really hard to oh, get yeah. like, a guy that's supported by Americans. We're like, that's our guy. Cowboy, in my opinion, is the closest thing we ever got to that, and probably ever will. He's the only guy where it's like. Yes, you have your Colby Covington stands and you have your like Tim Kennedy and guys that support the military. But when it came to like people that follow general sports that didn't really follow MMA, they knew who Cowboy was because he was like the American fighter. And I think that's another thing it comes with the historical aspect of it is another reason he should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I think as well is uh, with Cowboy. He, had, I mean, where the Cowboy had his nicknames, Cowboy. That was very unique, right? Like how many fighters wear Cowboy? Like Andrea Lee wore one last week. I know she's one, but she's not a household name. But I think branding is really important as well, as as far as uh, you know, standing out. And like you said, you're exactly right on that. That the UFC's had a very tough time in creating American stars. Like, um, you know, someone like Colby had to do this because the UFC's like, look, we're going to cut you if you continue to fight and promote your fights the way you do. And now people don't like it. And it's like, but this is the hand you're feeding because. You, you've said that, you know, you need to be more exciting. So I agree with you as far as him being the best American, like in terms of like brand recognition, I still think John Jones with what he's accomplished is probably still the most popular one, but you're right that he's sort of unique in the sense that like, there's no one like Cowboy. Like my, I always use my dad as like a good indication of like, if someone's popular or not, because my dad is the casual of casual fans. Like he's been to, I've taken him to a couple of UFCs, but he knew who Cowboy Cerrone was. Like, I remember when he was fighting on WEC, my dad's like, oh yeah, I saw this Cowboy guy fight in this other organization. And he was talking about the WEC. So if my dad recognizes who he is, then that is a good sign that they, it has reached sort of beyond our hardcore bubble of MMA fandom, right? So I would agree with you there that Cowboy did an exceptional job. He was good at talking on the mic. He was exciting. Like it's, there's all these things that you need to do to like become this sort of uh, standout fighter um, in, in the promotion. You know, Sean O'Malley's another one too. Like he's a guy that has created this, like who's like Sean O'Malley in the UFC? Really no one who's dying their hair. Like he is, who's finishing fights the way he is. So it's very tough to do that. And that's all on the fighter too. Like, I think that should count for something as well, where, you know, these guys are not being pushed a certain way by the UFC. It's them doing it themselves because let's be honest across the board. And I think this is a fair statement. I think boxing and UFC and the MMA in general do a very poor job of promoting their athletes when it's really on the fighter to stand out and, and be themselves, right? Even Conor McGregor, yes, UFC gave him opportunities, but Conor McGregor is a great self-promoter and that is why he's become an arguably, well, not arguably, he is the biggest star in, in mixed martial arts in my opinion. Ever, yeah, yeah ever. Yeah. Oh, real quick, I know Zach has one more thing to say. I jumped in, I have one more thing to say. Um, I know this has nothing to do with him being a Hall of Famer, but I think one reason why Cowboy got the love and, and the recognition he did too is he is who he says he is. He's a yeah. literal Cowboy. He lives on a ranch he has his own livestock and farms and like he wakes up. He, I mean, l- watches YouTube. His YouTube's awesome. He wakes up, he feeds his cattle, he trains MMA, and then he rides dirt bikes. Like he is literally who he says he is. And I think when you look at guys like Sugar Sean that you stated, he's the same way. He's exactly yeah. who he is. He wakes up and a smokes camera. a blunt and goes exactly. about his day. It's a little bit different, exactly. but yeah. Yeah. One of the things you brought up about brand recognition that I really feel like I've been drawn more to as the sport grows is you look at any other sport, they tend to tell you like you don't need to be this 
huge charismatic person. You don't need to stand out too much because your game will speak for yourself. I feel like in the UFC, that's kind of the opposite. Like we look at fighters such as Shavkat Rachmanov or Valentina Shevchenko per se, who don't really speak out as much towards the media or don't have like big call outs. They don't get into fights with other people outside of the ring. And you, it's really hard to like notice who they are. And it's not to say that they're not good enough for you to not know who they are. Cause obviously if you're a really in-depth UFC fan, you should know who these people are, but it's gotten to the point where you feel like you kind of have to have this edge to you or you have to kind of talk a little crap here and there, kind of do something that makes you stand out. Not like a sore thumb, but like you gotta, you gotta have your villain role at some point. And I feel like that's kind of grown towards now. I feel like another fighter that doesn't really speak out as much as Justin Gaethje. He's another person that I believe will be in the UFC hall of fame, whether he, I know he held an interim title, but he hasn't really held a title like on his own, like win it outright. So he's another guy. And speaking of him, he fought on this card most recently. And there's a lot of things to go into with this most recent card. Cause I think a lot of things happened that kind of stood out to me, especially where we need to go from here. But now that we're on the topic, this past weekend, UFC, what, fight night? Yeah, we had... Um, San Antonio. You just call it yeah. UFC San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, we had San Hagen versus Cheeto as the main event. Yeah, that... I kind of want to touch a little bit about UFC judging issues. Um, I just feel like the criteria, the way we score is a little vague. It's not really understanding. I... I would kind of want to hear your input on what the UFC scoring actually is, what we're supposed to be looking at. Because for me, I see takedowns. I'm like, all right, if a guy holds a guy down for like three minutes, has good offensive wrestling, he probably won the round. Obviously, there's a little mix here and there because, I mean, Cheeto in one eyes, a judge saw him one three rounds out of two. So what's kind of your takeaway from that main event this weekend? What did you see from it? Well, I saw Corey Sanhagen having the best performance of his career um, and something I kind of figured was going to happen because if you look at Chito Vera's wins leading up to that fight, they weren't clean. I mean, they were clean finishes, but in terms of what led up to those finishes, like the Dominic Cruz fight, the Frankie Edgar fight, people act like he dominated those entire yeah, fights. Font, and yes, he got Rob the finish but as well. Rob Font. Yeah. So th these were closer fights. Whereas you look at Sanhagen, people are like, oh, well, Sanhagen lost to Piotr Jan. Yeah, but you don't mention the part that it was a short-notice title fight. He went five rounds with Piotr Jan. You, you talk about the loss to Dillashaw. A lot of people felt like he won that fight. So, I mean, I, you have to look at some things like that when it comes to, um, you know, sort of leading into a fight like that. But I, I think with Sanhagen, like, it just really showed he's on another level. You know what it reminded me of a little bit, to be honest? It reminded me a lot of the Robert Whitaker and Marvin Vittori fight that we had last year mm -hmm. where it was two guys and we were trying to figure out sort of, are they going to be competitive? What's it like? And Rob, he smoked Marvin Vittori. Like, it was a dominant win and it just showed that there are levels in the division and i think Corey showed he is a contender he is a title challenger he could potentially be a champion with cheeto he's good he's he's a great fighter he's entertaining but he's not on that level yet and and that's where i think it really showed the difference in skill set i think Corey, um you know I, I spoke to him yesterday i have an interview that i just posted this morning uh if you guys want to check that out it's on my uh, youtube channel under the ufc playlist but i just talked sort of about um you know just being in sort of this like almost like an out-of-body experience like he was almost like watching the fight from afar and and just flowing really well and uh yeah it was incredible now the, the point about the judging maybe one of the worst scorecards I've ever seen in my life. Um, I don't know how you score that fight for Cheeto. Um, I, that was something I asked Corey in the interview. He's like, even so he's like, Corey even said it. He brought, he broke it down quite well. Um, again, the timestamps are there too, if you want to check it out. But he says, um, you know, even if you hate me, like if you were the biggest Corey Sanhagen hater, he's like, maybe you could say round three, round four, but anyone saying five, like you're out of your mind. So mm -hmm. here's the problem with judging. And I'll kind of go on a little thing, uh, this as well. So like, 
it's not up. It's commission who puts the judges in there. So there, there's there's a bunch of issues with the judging. It's, first it's off, the athletic commission, correct? It's yeah, the athletic commission, the Texas athletic commission. So first off, you've got people that are doing the judging that are like kind of part time. Like it's not their full time job, right? Mm-hmm. So like right off the bat, that's a problem. Second problem that they have is we're using a boxing model. I mean, martial arts has been around since you know what the the you know early '90s, and they haven't updated the rules or anything like that. Also, how they judge is different, right? Like, how can you tell me that? You know, a fight like, for example, Valentina Shushenko and Talia Santos, right? That's a fight that I watched. I thought Talia Santos won. Now, they counted more of the damage on the end of Valentina, I think. Or sorry, the control time more in Valentina. But then you look at a fight like Islam and Alex Volkanovsky where they didn't count it. So it's like that's where things get a little interesting. It's it's like we have these rules and people sort of judge it the way they do. But like they're not even following the rules. So there's a million problems with judging. Um, you know, you could do open scoring. You could add more judges. But it's still not going to change the fact that people are still incompetently doing the you know the, the the scoring like that one judge who scored it for cheeto like we were just thankful that two judges actually had some common sense but like it's not they could change the rule set and all that but that judge might still not see that fight the way that everyone else did so um there's a really good website called mma decisions and i mean this isn't the be all end all but if you go there you can see the media scorecards that's usually a good indication i think of who's actually won the fight and i was surprised to see some people actually i, I think actually if i checked that correctly i think there were some people who had cheeto winning which is like this is kind of crazy in my opinion um so i'm gonna just double check that just to, just to make sure i got yeah. everything i uh, done there but um i want to see if there's anyone okay no 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 i got that wrong that uh, no there's a different fight i looked at recently where i remember being like i'm surprised people scored it that way but uh is, yeah every single media member scored it for sanhagen glad i clarified that so that's kind of an indication of how people thought the fight went i liked both Corey and cheeto and i think another issue with this weight class is it's the deepest weight class in mma and it might I don't, I'd have to look, I'd have to sit down and get my, my MMA geek on, but it might be the deepest weight class I can even recall ever. Maybe two, three years ago, lightweight was, was pretty stacked, but I mean, dude, one to 10, they're all monsters in this weight class. It's crazy um, how talented they are. I, I love Cheeto and Corey. I'm a huge fan. I'm a little more of a Cheeto fan though. I, I've really grown into Cheeto. You know, he came on Joe Rogan, you hear about his background. Like this is a dude that came from literally nothing. Like it's just you know, he he did that surgery to save his daughter's life. Like this was a he's a very heartwarming story. And the thing is, like you we brought about earlier, there's no one else really like Cheeto. Like he is the the surfer hippie dude and from South America that lives in California. Like there's not another Cheeto. There's a lot of guys like Corey Sandhagen, and I'm not dissing Corey Sandhagen. I'm just saying when it comes to uniqueness, Cheeto is very unique. I gave the fight four to one, Corey. I gave round three to Cheeto. He was the aggressor. Even Corey talks about it. I didn't see your uh uh, interview yeah i'm gonna check it out but in other interviews he said he's like we knew he's gonna come at me he was down two rounds he was gonna bring it and he did and i'll give that to cheeto but there's just when it comes to judging i don't really want to care about talking on the fight too much when it comes to judging you need people that have done mma judging mma if you right. have, even if you just box you have no idea how draining mentally and physically someone wrestling you is you have no idea how hard some of those takedowns are to get you have no idea how hard jujitsu is. You don't know what it's like to be gassed out in the fifth round. You know, and, and there's some people, like I even had friends of mine ask, like, why is cardio a scoring factor in fighting? Because I'm dictating the pace. It is your yeah. job when you're in camp to get in great shape. That is your job. If I gassed you out, that means I did a better job at controlling the fight, controlling the pace. I led the dance. Fighting's a dance. You have one person leads, one person follows. Corey led the entire dance, okay? The other thing is, how, how are you going to know, like I said, how are you going to know if you've never done it? I don't yeah. know why we don't have open scoring as well. Name another sport that you don't know what's happening until the end. It's just, and I think it, it makes it 
I honestly think, and I don't think this is a factor, but I do think it makes it more appealing to the everyday sports fan. No mm-hmm. one, because it changes. I'm an MMA fighter. I go into this fight. I am out wrestling my opponent, but I'm getting outstruck in. And I see one, I see the majority, I see two of the three judges are caring more about striking. That is going to uh, strategically adapt my fight, the, the, my style and my game plan the rest of the fight. Versus my coach telling me like, dude, we're killing him with control time, we got the fight. And then I lose the fight. You know, it makes it more strategic. There's, there's no other sport I can even think of that you don't know what's going on until the end. And I understand yeah. it back in the day, but you are, uh, you're one of the major four sports. You've jumped the NH- NHL in America, uh, viewership-wise. So you're literally one of the mo- major four sports in America, one of the major – and worldwide, you know, it's, I mean, look at Asia and what 1FC is doing. Why have we not adapted to these times? Why have we adapted with the judging? Why have we adapted with the scorecards? This isn't 1998 anymore. This is 2023. You're on ESPN. I never even thought that would happen. But, like, yeah. well, I, I just – it doesn't make sense to me why we haven't adapted. And I don't know if it's a Dana thing. I don't know if it's a state commission thing. But well, it is a state commission me. thing. That's the thing. But the, the UFC's got to put pressure on it. Listen, I, I've always said this. I think until we see some major changes, it has to be something major that happens. A prelim fight with a bad decision. Like, you know, we're talking about the Cheeto scorecard. There's a couple bad scorecards there on, on that card. And unfortunately, those probably got lost by the weight side because of the main event. So it's like, this is where it's tough. It's like, if it's hurting their business, I think the UFC would pay more attention to it and do it. But I think the UFC is just at the point where they're kind of like, um, you know, like, like, hey, like, this is where... Um, you know, the, the, like, like, is it, is it impacting our bottom line? Um, if they had like, even the fight, let's, let's say for example, Cheeto won that fight. It's not as big of a fight. Like if John Jones and Cyril gone fought to a decision and Cyril gone won, then I think you're going to see something happen because John's a huge star for them. Cheeto and Corey, great fighters. Like I said, amazing, uh, in, in our, you know, sort of fandom and stuff, but they're not moving the needle like a John Jones does. So I think it would have to take, unfortunately, something like that. And then one other thing you mentioned is about having judges that have trained before hundred percent agree. The only issue you run into is obviously there's bias. We had this a couple of years ago. Remember when Trevin Giles fought James Krause, uh, it turned out one of the judges had actually trained or had taught, uh, Trevin Giles in the past oh, and that was a scorecard that had tipped the scales so that's where it's tough like how do you figure out who is trained with who it's it's a difficult like i'm with you like i think they should get judges that have trained before of like fought on a high level but it's like do we really know the conflict of interest there although i guess you know what they could do with that is if it is found out if people have done research and it founds out there was a really bad scorecard then that judge would be punished here's another yeah. issue i'll just mention as well just to kind of add in here i know uh, your co-host will get in here in a second but you just got me a couple uh, got me thinking about a couple different things um why are the judges not available to the media that's another thing like at least explain your scorecard you and i have a bad day at work especially you have a bad fight or whatever let's say you make a mistake and you get choked out you're th- that's it everyone can see it you made a mistake you lose the fight if a judge has a bad scorecard, there are zero repercussions here. If I do an interview and I ask the wrong question or I say something silly or I, you know, I say something out of the line or whatever, I'm going to get in trouble for it. Whether it's, you know, the company I work for or the fighters getting upset or whatever. If you make a mistake, you have to pay the consequences. The judges never have to do that. In fact, there's like, they're like, like, I don't even know what the judges look like. Like hardly any of them do any media. I think it should be a requirement from the commission for the judges to at least doesn't even have to be video. You could just do like a written statement. This is how I scored this fight and why. And we don't have that. And that's a problem. You just alley-ooped Zach perfectly right there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you pretty much hit all of the points on the head. Though I'm a I mind kinda... reader. I should go buy a lottery <laughs> ticket. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things I actually wanted to bring up, um, you brought up how the scoring system is kind of so cut and dry. Like we've adopted the boxing philosophy of our 10-9 system. And I'm not fully against it. Like I do think it helps keep it simplified. I do think one of the issues we've kind of had is how dominant wrestling has become in this sport. 
one of the things I've started to notice, um, and this was even before the whole Dagestani like pipeline takeover, but even most recently, the Peter Jan Marab fight, I mean, Peter stuffed what 30 of the 48 takedown attempts. And I'm not saying Marab didn't win the fight. I believe he won it outright 100%. I have no issue with how the scorecard came down. I just think offensive wrestling is the only thing that's rewarded in the scorecards. I don't think defensive wrestling is any, in any way, shape or form rewarded. Um, I'm not saying just cause you stuff a takedown that should give you bonus points or brownie points with the judges, but in what ways do you even win a fight? If a guy's shooting that many times in a fight, I just don't think there's any way to gar- garner any favoritism for the judges or even attempt to win around if you're spending the whole time sprawling or trying to like wrestle back. So it's kind of gotten to the point to me where I feel like you have to wrestle at this point in the UFC. Well, maybe there's still a lot of fighters that, do only stand up and only have takedown defense, a la Justin Gaethje, as we mentioned before. But to well, me, I just he's also an all-American wrestler, though. But he only uses it for take. That's yeah. what I mean. Like he's using it for takedown to get back to stand up. But I'm just interested to see, like, how do we now do we move towards wrestling dominance, or do we try to find a way to kind of balance, find a medium? Because to me, it just looks like if you're not a wrestler at this point, you don't even have a chance not only to win fights but to win a belt. Like it just doesn't seem like there's much of a chance there. Well, as a wrestler, you bring up a good point. I'll just mention this quickly. You know, a fight that really sort of reminds me of that is remember we had the Jalen Turner and Mateos Gamrot fight, and that's mm-hmm. basically how Gamrot won the fight was with the takedowns and the wrestling. Even though Jalen, I think, outstruck him in the fight. So that's like I'm with you. I want to see sort of a hybrid of yeah, you count the wrestling, but we also got to count the damage that's been done as well because like what happens if someone's getting their face beat in for like the whole round and then the guy gets a takedown that counts more. Like it doesn't work. Like it shouldn't work like that, right? I do agree with you. Me and Zach lost that Jalen Turner fight together. And we said Jalen Turner lost the, he lost the mat. He lost the game, but he won the fight. And, yeah. you know, and I'm tired of saying that. Cause that's something that comes up a lot. And I am a wrestler like that. Go watch any of my fights. That is how I fight. Even in, in my last fight, I had more takedowns. Like I'm a wrestler, but there's, there's two sides to this one. There's boring. There's, there's wrestling that does nothing. And I think that needs to stop being rewarded when you just blanket mm-hmm. ride someone. I think if you're not going to finish or you're not attempting to improve position, I don't think it should be rewarded. The other side of it is stop blaming stop blaming guys for wrestling you saying they don't want to fight you. This is not boxing or kickboxing, brother. This is mixed yeah. martial arts. It is not yeah. my fault that your takedown defense sucks. You know what I yeah. mean? So it is a double-edged sword. I'm a huge believer that if you're not fighting to finish, you, you, if you're not fighting to finish in any aspect of the fight, you have no business being there. And, you know, and that's kind of like Dana's like, the judging sucks. We just well, you should be fighting to finish. You know, you kind of, that's kind of like how Dana like pushes that under the rug. Um, but I, I, I do agree. Like, there's just too much boring wrestling. Like, I can't remember the name, but there was a PFL fighter. Uh, I can't remember his name, and I remember watching his fight, and he won, and I think he landed like three strikes. He just literally laid on the guy each round, and I'm just like, how? Yeah. This is bad fighting, and this is bad for the growth of the sport as well. Now you have all these casuals. Like, we went to UFC Orlando, and. They're like, he's just wrestling. I'm standing him up. I'm like, bro, you have no idea how difficult that is. You have literally, you can't even grasp how hard it is what he's doing. Yeah. Well, even like here, you know, it's a good example. So you, you brought up uh, two two fights that kind of came to mind. So Damian Maya and Jorge Masvidal. So any Damian Maya fight, actually, people are like, oh, it's so boring. He's trying to go for the finish. A lot of times he gets it because he's a good submission artist. But like, I remember when he fought Masvidal, people are like, oh, what a boring fight. It's like, no, Masvidal needs to learn how to stop a takedown. Like, that's what it comes down to. That was something that always used to drive me nuts about Nick Diaz. Nick's like, I'm here to fight and strike and stuff. And then he's getting taken down. And it's like the Diaz brothers would have been UFC champions if they learned some takedown defense. Like mm-hmm. it, we saw this over and over again there's a reason nick never fought a wrestler in strike force they purposely gave him strikers to showcase his skill set and then convinced everyone that somehow that was enough to beat george st pierre so that that's where it's like 
like you have, like, you're right. Like you have to focus on those things, but on the flip side, like you said, you got to do damage, go watch any old Ben Askren fight in Bellator. That's what Ben Askren used to do. He would just out wrestle them, but not actually finish a lot of the time. And those criticisms back then were valid. Obviously Ben sort of evolved from that. But um, I remember early on, you know, when he's having these fights, it's kind of like, like, what, like, are you trying to win this fight? Like, are you trying to finish this? Or are you trying to just, you know, keep doing the same thing over and over again? I do yeah. think, and I know this has nothing to do with what we're talking about real quick, but I do think if Ben Astron came to the UFC four years earlier, it would have been a lot different. Well, here's the thing, though. Would he have fought his buddy, Tyron Woodley? That would have created an issue. Oh, would no, Woodley but he didn't up? even get a title shot when he came in now, so I, would, I don't even think that would have been a factor yet. But he probably still would have won, though. Like, that's the timing. Like, I agree. I wish. Remember Dana said, go to PFL, and it's like, he fought some good guys in Bellator, man. He like, beat Douglas Lima, who was a world champion in Bellator. He was a dog. Yeah. And he fought and Koreshkov. In and, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. He beat a couple. He beat a couple guys. That whole thing. That was one of the UFC's had a few misses over the years. That was one. Not getting Ashkin over in there uh, in his prime because, you know, everyone now know. I mean, this is what annoys me so much about MMA fandom is like, Ask most people about Ben Askren. Oh, he's overrated. So no, he really wasn't. If you Jake go back Paul. and look at his career, like we got the Ben Askren that was later in his time. It's like Vandalay Silva when he came over from Pride. Mm -hmm. We got Vandalay a little bit later. Had I mean, granted, there was some help probably in Pride, if you know what I'm saying. But um, like, like, like we got like these guys a little bit later, so we didn't really get like fans see this one version of them when it's like like Fedor, same thing. Like Fedor hung out way too long, but we're talking about one of the best heavyweight fighter, one of the best fighters period of all time in Fedor Emelianenko. And fans are like, yeah, but that guy Dan Anderson beat him. It's like, eh, but you didn't you didn't see everything else he did when he was fighting in Pride. The guys were clearly on steroids. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I wanted to touch back on a little bit, we talk about poor. Uh, like blanket wrestling. I want to talk about poor jujitsu. I think the Claudio Duplessis fight against Dan Hooker, how he just tried to MNRI roll like every five seconds and then didn't really do much there. Um, I think that's another, I think that's another poor example of, I mean, thankfully Dan Hooker just won that outright because I think even if he would have gotten an ankle, they just like laid there and stalled for two minutes trying to advance position. Another thing I think the UFC tried to do to get away from that, from that kind of blanket wrestling is you look at the Shevchenko Grasso fight and actually the whole card, if you go back and watch it, there were many times where if there was even a moment of pause or like stalling in between the fight they they split the fighters or stood them back up and i think that kind of came back to hurt valentina now i still think grosso did an amazing job of game planning around the spinning attack and taking her back but there were times in that card where i was watching and i was like i think dana told these officials like if you see any type of pause or 50 50 just to split them or stand them up to kind of keep it going and i think it would have been better to kind of let the fighters know beforehand because there are times where you'll wrestle to be like, all right, I'm holding a guy here because they want to regain my cardio or there's a reason why I'm not advancing position because I'm trying to get back into hundred percent or I'm trying to gain, gain a little more momentum here. But it just seemed like it was kind of pushed a little behind the scenes to see like, Hey, we see people complaining about the wrestling. Let's try to get the officials more involved. And that's the last thing I want to see personally is officials getting involved unless it's for stuff like cage grabs and stuff, which we finally saw some point deductions in most recent fights, which typically I didn't see get called uh, as much. I know I brought it up to Grayson before. Like, I wish he would have adopted the kind of, what was what was the organization that had um, Crow Cop and Juan Vanderlei's fight? Pride. Pride. Yeah, they had their yellow card system. Yeah, the yellow like, cards, yeah. Yeah, the yellow card. I wish they kind of would bring that back, where, like, you get three fouls and you kind of punish them more. Now it's like... You, you get an eye poker, you kick a guy in the nuts. It's kind of like, oh, like shame on you. Do it a second time and then we'll punish you. Like it kind of feels like you're allowed to get away with some cheap stuff before they actually start punishing you. And I think that takes a lot away from fighters. I don't know if maybe we should look at that more. I don't know if fighters are doing it intentionally, but um, it just kind of seems like it's happening more and more as fights go on. I think that's funny you said that, Zach, because I have teammates that are literally like, hey, you get, you get one strike. And they literally say that. They're like, yo, if someone, if like, 
you're on the I have I'm not gonna throw any names on the bus, but I have literal teammates mm-hmm. that are like professional fighters and they're like, you get one strike. And it's so crazy that that's the mindset we have now. It's like, yeah, you get one fence grab or yeah, you get one accidental like this or that. Like you can get away with one, you know? Cause I remember in my, in my last fight, I had my hand flat against the cage and they were like, let go of the cage, let go of the cage. I'm like, bro, like I, I'm literally not holding it. And then I go to take him down and he's yanking on it and they didn't say anything. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just feel like it's becoming more of a, I don't want to say it's taking away from the integrity of the sport because I feel like the more the sport grows, fighters are getting better. You have to find you, – you can't be mad at the system. Like, it's a system that we built, so you can't really get mad at people abusing the system per se. I just feel like we'd call it out sooner. I just feel like we're kind of letting things happen. And the sport's amazing at it. Like, I feel like the quality of the sport has been better than ever. It's obviously going to continue to grow. But I feel like we're not at a point, like you said earlier, James, we're not at a point where – we haven't had like a super big decision gone the wrong way where we feel like the fans have called it called out on it. It's kind of like, say, what would you say is probably the worst? Cause the, the first one that comes to my mind is Max Wolf too. That's the first fight that comes to my brain or in as much as this hurts the eight year old kid in me so bad, GSP, Johnny Hendricks. No, no, I'm with you there. I'm Canadian. I thought GSP lost that fight. I don't think Volk and, and Max is as bad as people. Here, here's, here's how I look at a robbery. In my opinion, to me, a robbery is where you didn't win a single round. I think Volk, you could at least give Volk a round or two in that yeah. Holloway fight. So I can kind of understand it from that perspective. Go Diego Sanchez, Ross Pearson is always the example I use is a fight where I don't know how anyone scored that for Diego Sanchez. Like, I don't know how they came to that conclusion. Ross Pearson won Ross every Pearson. single one of one of the rounds in that fight. It was only a three round fight. Like that to me is like a really bad, I, I think the word robbery gets thrown out a little bit too much, um, especially now with betting and everything. Like, I think, I feel like a lot of people are just, um, you know, throwing that out when it's a close fight. Like, I think it can just be a close fight. Like Robert Whitaker, Israel Adesanya, the rematch was a close fight. It was not a robbery. Alexander Volkanovsky, Islam Mahashev was a close fight. It was not a robbery. Like people got to get off that word because there are problems. And here's the problem with that. If you start saying robbery for every fight, it's taking away from the real fights that are happening because it's getting lost in the shuffle. Like like actual robberies are Cheeto having that scorecard on Saturday. That was a robbery. Very confident in that. But, um, you know, stuff like Volk and Islam, that's that was not a robbery in my opinion. Also, when you say the word robbery, you're taking away from the other fighter. Like, yeah, even though you don't think they won, like they they trained and they worked their ass off and they did everything they can to win that fight. And you saying it's a robbery. It's like, dude, what, like, what more do you want me to do? And it comes back to this standpoint it's like if you're not a fighter you shouldn't be calling out dudes that are in the ufc and saying they're like that's a robbery like because they could yeah quite literally kill you if they saw you in person yeah oh yeah speaking of robbery i just want to bring up this one fight because even though i'm one of the biggest sean o'malley fans i don't think he beat peter young i'm not saying that i don't think that fight was a robbery either like i think sean went around but personally i think everyone in their eyes saw it as peter young winning that fight now i don't know what i wish we did have like you said, James, where the the, um, the scorecard would come out and kind of explain their reasoning behind why they had the it the way they did. comes out, they don't explain it, though. Yeah, I wish they did. I wish the judges did come out and explain why they had it because you had some people defending it saying, oh, well, you know, Sean had more damage, so that's why we gave him it. And then you had other people saying like, oh, well, even though Sean got taken down, he was throwing up submission attempts, so that gave him the edge on the ground. Like, I, it, it didn't clear up anything for me. It just kind of seemed like, oh, well, Sean got to stay alive, and now we've kind of diminished the career that Peter Yan has had. I mean, obviously, he's had other fights since then and even before then. That He'll kind calculate, of a, and he's taking too long to calculate. Yeah, he's taking too long. Um, I mean, so many things have gone down since. I. Speaking of which, there are a lot of fighters that have had what-if careers for me. I was thinking of it earlier with Peter Yan. The most recently... Wait, real with, quick, I want to I piggyback off. I, I, I know exactly where you're going with that. Right before you go to that, I just want to state... 
Um, Sugar Sean, I also think he lost that fight. Yes, I am a huge Sugar Sean fan, so I'm biased, but I wanted him to win either way. One thing he said in an interview after that I thought was so awesome, and it gave me a really good perspective on like how people view fighters. He goes, if I lost that fight, split decision, if I lost it, everyone would be like, look how many levels Sean jumped. Like, Look how good he's doing. Like, He, he showed he could hang with them. But since he won it, instead of saying how good Sean is, everyone's talking about how it was a robbery. He didn't deserve to win it, blah, blah. And it's like that one little difference of that win or loss completely changed people's perspective on him. And I thought that was a really interesting point that he, that he brought up in that interview. Yeah, I agree. But the point that I was going on was we have here Peter Yan, who now kind of has that like, what if career? Like, what if he never need Aljo? To me, most recently that I saw on social media was Darren Till. Like, I mean, for how well he struck with Robert Whitaker to see what his career has become now, that's so sad. Like, it's just sad to me, especially with his walkout that he had. Like, probably one of the greatest walkouts yeah, in UFC history. Awesome walkouts. Uh, I was just wondering, James, what are some other fighters in your memory that you think had like what if careers that you thought could have been so much more in the sport that just kind of never panned out. Well, piggyback off Darren Till, that's a great example because he shouldn't have got that win against Wonder Boy and then he doesn't get the title shot and then maybe he's not fast-tracked as much and that could have changed, you know, him not getting knocked out by Masvidal. Maybe they're a little bit more careful about who they match him up with. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, some that come to mind in terms of like, you know, kind of what ifs, um, you know, I'll, I'll do one that's maybe kind of obvious. It's like, I do wonder how dominant Cain Velasquez would have continued to be in his career if he didn't suffer from so many injuries, because like, I do think that the Verdum fight was just a bad night for him. And people always criticize him that, oh, he didn't beat him. But like, if Cain was healthy, how great would have he done? Uh, Shane Carwin's another one, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, Those are just Shane like ones that Carwin, come to mind oh that God. like, had they been healthy, like who knows how long they would have been. I think, I think with Brock though, like the verdict was kind of out that like once Brock got hit, it was like he didn't know how to like respond properly. And I think like that's a big part of fighting that I think people ne neglect a little bit is like what happens when you face adversity? Like, can you get through it? That was one of my things when going into the Islam and Charles fight. It's like Charles is the king of adversity. People were writing him as a bust. And here he is resurging in his career, winning the title, beating some really good names on the way to facing Islam. Like he's been there. Islam really has. And he had a quick knockout loss. Big deal. Like at some point, like you got to see how fighters handle adversity. I'm just trying to think like uh, since you asked me on the top of my head. There's got to be like one name. name. There's a guy. Well, it, because you got you got to think of like bad decisions, right? That maybe should have gone the other way. Gustafson's another one. Like maybe if yeah. he would have beat Jones, you know, would that have been different for him? Maybe he doesn't, you know, uh, take certain fights after that. Um, right, James, I'll let you guys go though, because you yeah, guys so seem like you got some. The first one I can think here. of, um, the first one I can think of off bat is Aaron Pico. What if he waited a little bit before they threw him those dog fights? Because I mean, could yeah. it, and this is what I try to explain to people all the time that people don't understand. He's the biggest prospect in MMA history. There's never, and, and I will argue that to this day as well. He's a bigger prospect than Bo Nickel. You understand this, this, as a kid, as a sophomore in high school, he's 16 years old, he made the Olympic team trial finals for the United States Olympic team. At 16, the kid barely could drive, and he almost made the Olympics. Okay, and on top of that, his dad was a Golden Glove boxer. He was a Golden Glove boxer. Like, he had every check mark, every box check mark, but they threw him dogs. They didn't, they didn't do the, the sugar Sean method with them or the, or the, or the well, they thought they did. They thought Zach Freeman was a pushover and I could have told you going in actually it was or Henry Corrales or Henry Corrales. Yeah, no, I know there were some bad decisions on the end of, of, of his career as well. Um, You know, one other name that you brought up, this was more of like a what if because he retired so young. Cole Conrad might have been one of the best heavyweights of all time. Go look him up. First Bellator heavyweight champion. Uh, You know, one of Brock Lesnar's main training partners. He just out of the blue is like, I'm done. He never lost a fight. And and he was someone that lo was looking pretty legit with his you know wrestling skill set and his striking was coming along. He's another one that I always wonder like what would have happened if he would have stuck with it. Who is? All right, you're gonna be able. To, you gotta help me with this because I'm literally looking at him in the face right now and I can't think of his name. He was 
He went to the UFC. He had a huge, huge, huge like support behind him. He was Hispanic. He had uh, uh, Roger a, Huerta. Roger Huerta. Let's go, James. That's exactly yeah. who it is. He was supposed to be the next big thing. Like first, like, first MMA Huerta, fighter. Huerta. Get this. I don't know if people remember this. First MMA fighter on the cover of Sports Illustrated. People forget that. Yeah, like he yeah, was a huge yeah. deal. And you know, one other thing I'll mention with Huerta as well, because there was a pay issue. That's why he didn't end up resigning with the UFC. He went to Bellator. People think that like Bellator's big signings were like, I don't know, whoever they got, like when they were in the Bourne Remedy days. Roger Huerta was like their first big signing. People forget Roger, yes, he did lose his opportunity against Kenny Florian. And then I think that was going to get him the title shot. Um, but when Bellator signed him, that was a big deal at the time. That was like Bellator's way of saying, like, hey, we're gonna try and compete with you. Uh, because at the time that was a a big uh, you know, like a big signing for them back in the day. And he was easily marketable. He was entertaining. He had one of the best fights of all time. Like he had a fight with Leonard Garcia that was just like yes. outstanding. Um, and he had all the makings of being this like huge star, especially back then. Like they had not entered sort of the, the Spanish market and all that. Um, but yeah, they, they couldn't come to terms. He then Roger went to Bellator and then he kind of just went to Thailand and disappeared. And then his career just kind of went down the toilet. Like he never really like, I know he had injuries and stuff, but you're right. That is a great choice for, for, uh, for what ifs for sure. Yeah, hey, I know a thing or two about a thing or two, James. I'm telling yes, exactly. You. Yeah, I, tell, I just yeah. couldn't remember his name. I was like, literally like, I could see him in the Mexican shorts. Like I could see his tattoos and his buzz cut. I'm like, I could literally see him. I couldn't, I couldn't get his name, but he was like, he was supposed to be the next big thing. He was like a good looking dude who had a very like, Fun there's a video of roger huerta by the way if you guys go do a little bit of digging there's an interview where he's doing it ariani celeste is doing like interviews for like i think ariel's old company mma rated and she's pretty sure she's under like she's drunk or something and they're they're kind of insinuating that they had hooked up it's like the weird like you have to watch the video to see what i mean but go look roger huerta ariani celeste you guys will have a good laugh about that's that one awesome. that's like buried in yeah. the archives yeah and as a um, young kid like you're like sorry real quick as a young yeah. kid you thought like he was the man you're like he has all these yeah. cool tattoos he has a sick walkout. Like he has that, like he's the first. He had that viral video on TMZ where he knocked some guy out at a club for hitting a woman. Do you remember yeah, that? That was I years ago too. too. And it was like, dude, this is the next big guy. Dana White was saying like, we signed the next big prospect. And then he loses that Kenny Florian fight. And it's like, what happened to Roger Huerta? You know? And as a kid, I remember like wanting to play with him in the video game. Like he was a huge deal at the time. And like, I, I would probably say he's probably one of my biggest what ifs. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Um, you brought up a little bit of Bellator and 1FC and how they're trying to compete with the UFC. One of the biggest things that I am going to hate the UFC for if they never get it done. The one thing I really enjoy about watching Bellator and 1FC is they have their crossover events. Or is it Rise and 1FC? Excuse yeah, me. But, it's, uh, it's Rise and Bellator. Yeah. So when they have their crossover events, when they do their marketing, their posters, everything just seems way more like into it from the company. Like They just seem to value their product so much more than the UFC. The UFC just... Feels like its name will carry itself at this point, which I guess is fine for now. But when you have these competitors that are putting out quality content, like if you looked at that, um, the Fedor retirement and you look at the Johnny Evelyn like card, like th that was a great card put together overall. And I think it was their first deal with CBS. That was a huge hit for them making a TV market. I just hope sooner rather than later, we can get more competitors to compete against the UFC to show them what a quality product looks like when it's actually like put money towards it. Because now we see with the UFC... Now, I don't know if you share the same sentiment, but I think the slap league has taken away so much from UFC, in my opinion. I feel like just the like UFC social media has been promoting it so much more. Like, I feel like we're not getting so many buildups. Like up until the Leon Usman rematch, I had not seen as like not near as many like videos come out or like Dude, hype we, videos we or the embedded number one and number two pound for pound fighter in the world fighting. Probably one of the. It, honestly, I, I mean, I, th I can think of a couple others like BJ Penn, George St. Pierre, but like talent wise, they're probably the two be like, best ever to fight each other. And their whole Instagram was slap fighting the week of their fight. 
Like there wasn't yeah. even they weren't even marketing that. And that's the easiest fight to market. Yeah. I don't even think that was the I mean, I I don't listen, I, I don't like the power slap stuff. I think it's bad. I if you talk to a lot of the fighters, they they sort of feel the same way. I know the pay's not good. It's I, it's something I don't think will last. I mean, they've already lost their deal with TBS. Now they're on Rumble, which is like a sort of a conservative platform yeah. or something. So I don't know how it's gonna go, but I'm I'm with you there. That that's taken away. But you know the biggest problem that has happened with the UFC over the years, um, and I'm gonna sound really old here. I miss the days of the anticipation of a big fight, and you don't get that because we're so fatigued because they do events every weekend. Like it meant so much more back when I I first started watching the UFC and meant so much more to be a UFC fighter now. And the way they have this model set up, they're doing fights every weekend. You're not getting UFC level fighters. You're just not because they're, they're literally like you can go on contender series. You can have, you know, three, four fights. You can get signed to the UFC and you're already in. It used to take fighters years to get there. And I know it's better for the fighters. You're getting obviously guys in there that, you know, there was probably issued fighters in the past that probably should have gone to the UFC and didn't because of politics or whatever. So maybe there's more opportunities now, but on the flip side of that, like as someone who covers the sport for a living, it's too much. It's way too much. Like I am looking forward to this weekend. Of, I know we have Bellator on Friday, but like it's nice not to have a UFC this Saturday. It's nice that I can, you know, build up a little bit to UFC 287 and take a breather because I just feel like they do too many events. They The quality of what it means to be a UFC fighter has gone down significantly over the years. And I think it's just too much. And they don't care because like you guys were saying, this this ties back to the Bellator thing. Like Bellator has to do stuff like that because they need to stand out. They do the ramp. They do the big production. They do the crossover fights. So UFC is kind of like, we've got a stranglehold on the market. We're going to do things how we see fit. And that's why they just do events every week. And they don't care about the main event or the co-main event or anything. It's just like, we have to put on a card for ESPN. So this is what you get, take it or leave it. And I think long-term, that's not a good strategy because it's just too much, too much MMA, honestly. Like they need to, I remember like when George, you mentioned George St. Pierre and BJ Penn. I remember them having like UFC primetime where they would like follow the fighters like for like a couple weeks and you'd see this build up to a big fight. You don't get that because guess what? Like we've got Israel and Alex next week. There's hasn't been any buildup because we just had a really great fight last week with Sanhagen and Cheeto. Imagine putting that Sanhagen and Cheeto fight as a main card fight on the pay-per-view and you're going to get people spending the $75 lot more than pirating it because you're encouraging people to do that because it's just it costs too much as a combat sports fan to try and keep up with everything it really is so i i'm actually love that you brought that up and i'm not an old head but i guess in the term of the sport i am i started watching when i was six years old so i i grew up watching but the same time you started watching you know the first fight i ever watched was when george st pierre beat matt hughes for the second time like that's how long i've been i've been watching but i do agree because even like at first it was like a, a card every month a card every two months but i think the best was when they once they started getting a little bit big, and I think it's when they got to Fox, they were doing like a pay-per-view and a fight night every month. I think yeah. that's perfect. I think that's the way to keep it. The issue is, though, is as much as I, I, I like to bash UFC's decisions, I think that's more of an ESPN thing. I think when yeah. ESPN signed them, they were like, this is how many cards we need. And what you're doing is, and, and this also kind of ties into the fighter pay, in my opinion, you, you, they can't, when you have this many fighters, they're having to sign people to one-fight contracts just to fill in cards. So yeah, yeah, that guy's not going to make a living off of a one fight card. Like that, he's going to make 15k because they had to just sign him to fill the card in. And you know, and you see that like when the UFC came to Tampa, they had I have a bunch of buddies I know that signed on the prelims just because they didn't have anybody else. So they were just like, who's the best pro guys in Tampa? All right, you three, we're going to sign you for a one fight deal. If you win, you get another fight. If you lose, you're out. You know, and that's the problem is it's, there is too much. So you're losing that anticipation. And when you look at other sports, I literally just had this conversation this morning with my dad. One reason why baseball isn't so hyped. It's because there's like 300 games. So like the yeah. games don't matter as much. And the problem is, it's when there's fights every weekend, it's the same thing versus when there's anticipation to a big card. You know, you have a fight night and a, and a pay-per-view every month. There's a lot more anticipation. They can do more promotion. They can do more buildup. 
you can also lock in fighters to instead of one fight contracts a minimum guaranteed of three there's no arguing about pay or arguing about living if you guarantee three fight contract that is you know obviously there's numbers and there's going to be people that complain but that's a lot better the other side that people aren't seeing is since espn is making them have so many cards it's a little hard for them to do the promotion or to pay people a living wage because they're having just to fill cards up you know like you see it all the time yeah. and it's, it's something that's happening like a lot now but um i know we're getting really close on time so something zach and i wanted to ask you real quick you know you have an extreme depth of knowledge in the sport if you had to pick your mount rushmore your top four fighters of all time james who who are you putting on there top four no okay. order just your top four just your mount rushmore george st pierre i have to i'd be kicked out of this country um anderson silva demetrius johnson and fedor habib's not on that list now or here's John why Jones? I, oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. You know what? I'll replace. Uh, it's tough though, because like, okay, fine. I'll go Jones over Fedor, but Fedor had a great run as a heavyweight, and people should not take that away from him. So we'll go Jones, Demetrius Johnson, Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre. Okay, the reason I have them over Habib, and all the credit to Habib, and I understand the politics of when he was coming up, a lot of guys did not want to fight him. He did not have enough title defenses. That's got to count for something. And this is the thing: people are like, Habib retired undefeated. Yeah, but. George St. Pierre and John Jones and Demetrius Johnson, all these guys had years and years and years of title defenses. That has to count for something. Whether you thought George St. Pierre lost to Johnny Hendricks or not, you hang around long enough, you're going to lose. Valentina Shoshenko, she lost at 285. Want to know why? Because she's hung around a long time. It's going to happen. Uh, you know, Amanda Nunes, if you fight long enough, you're going to lose a fight. Chris, Chris Cyborg. Cyborg, you're going to yeah. lose a fight. You know what I mean? So this is where, like, I give credit to those who are willing to put that on the line. And I know there were circumstances for Habib retiring, his father's wishes, all this different, his mother's wishes, whatever, all these different things. But I have a hard time putting him above when, if you look at the overall resume, you know, beating a Daryl Horcher or beating like, you know, some, you know, certain guys on the way up. It doesn't count as much as a George St. Pierre beating a Carlos Condit in a title defense that was five rounds. That's That, for me, counts more. I'm more about longevity as a champion and staying there and being on the top of your game. And not only that, the frequency of fighting. Like People forget that like back when Jones and, Saint, and George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva and all these guys, they were fighting frequently at least three times a year. Now you'd be lucky if a champion defends their title twice a year, right? No, and yeah. I, I, I completely agree to a T. Everything you said, we have the same out Rushmore and have the same agreement with the fights. Uh, that's another reason why I don't think Connor will ever be a top 10 fighter ever. Um, but yeah. you look at George St. Pierre, John Jones, and Anderson Silva had more title defenses than Khabib did UFC fights. Yeah. You know, like, how are you even going to like relate that? And then you, you're like, oh, well, GSP lost twice. Both the guys he lost to were Hall of Famers, and he avenged both of them. He yeah. avenged both of the losses, you know? And John's, it's iffy because I am, like I said, I'm a GSP stand, so I'm always going to say GSP is better than John. But, I, you know, I think when you look at it as an overall martial artist, GSP portrays the martial artist a lot more than John does for reasons we won't state. Oh, big, you know, 100%. 100%. Yeah. yeah, he carried himself well. And that, that's something I, you know, it's funny. I interviewed Randy Couture a few weeks ago, and I asked him about John being in the number one pound for pound spot. And Randy kind of said, as someone who, you know, has a lot of say, because he was a champion as well, mm -hmm. he says, look, in my opinion, how I do the criteria. And by the way, people should remember that. There's no criteria on the pound for pound. So people getting upset, oh, no way you can do it that way. It's your own opinion. There's no rules on what counts as pound for pound. BJ Penn moving up a couple weight classes and be and losing to a couple fighters. Does that count more than someone who didn't move up? Like it's it's tough to gauge that. So that that's I want to mention that. But what Randy said in that interview was I would not put John there because of what to me it's what you do outside the cage as well. And John has not been a good ambassador for the sport outside the cage. Even the biggest fans, you can't ignore that stuff. Oh, who cares? I don't care about John, the personal fighter. Yeah, but you're representing the sport. You know, it's like, and, and the fans in MMA don't get this. 
like Tom Brady or someone like if Tom Brady gets, you know, he's in, he's a drunk driver and he hits something that's like front page news everywhere. Like you can't just like, for some reason, MMA fans think that like that doesn't apply. Go watch other sports uh, and, and you'll see it's it's front page news. If, if, that if Roger Goodell slapped his wife, he loses his job. Exactly. Yeah. That, that too, that was another one, man. That was one of the most annoying things to deal with. Cause like, I mean, I don't know. I'm the reason, again, I mean, I'm, the reason yeah. that didn't get covered. And I know this sounds really fucked up, but it's because the Mar Hamlin incident happened the day after. So yeah. all media forgot about Dana White. So, I mean, right. timing of it was just, it was right there, but look, James, I know you got to get going. Real quick, you got any last words? Let people know where to check you out. And like I said, thank you so much for coming on, my man. Well, I got to thank you guys for having me on. This was a great discussion. I'd love to do it again. Uh, just Lynch on Sports, uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. That's L-Y-N-C-H on Sports. YouTube as well, youtube.com slash Lynch on Sports. I do a lot of interviews. They might be tough to find, but I make it real easy for you because I take all those all those companies I work for, all those different interviews I do, I always put them on one playlist on my YouTube channel. You go to the front page, you'll see it all there, UFC interviews. Just a couple I've done recently over the last week. Uh, Michelle Waterson, Corey Sanhagen, Macy Barber, Valentina Shevchenko, uh, Colby Covington I did last week, which is, you know, he hasn't done a ton of media. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of really good interviews. Curtis Blades. Uh, make sure you check those out because I'm always interviewing the biggest names and uh, just keeping busy. And uh, thanks again for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, if I was, if you do have time for one more question, I was just going to say, sure. Do you ever think there will be a record that has been made that you think will stand the test of time? Like for, per se, John Jones being the youngest UFC champion, or maybe it's Anderson Silva's longest uh, title defense streak. I think the youngest champion one might be, I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime. It's, I know you've got people in the lab right now. There's probably some like, you know, control dad, like, oh, you know, yeah. like building like, like Drago from Rocky, like trying to build up the next big thing. Maybe it happens, but I just think that it's, it's so hard to like get to that level. Like I just see what these fighters go through and how they train and everything. It's so hard to get to that level. Cause there's so many different factors. You know, one of the biggest things I hear a lot. And I, I was having a conversation with a fighter about this the other day is like to be able to perform well in the gym and to be able to perform well in the cage are two different things. Completely David Loazzo comes to mind. If you, if you go research him, one of George St. Pierre's main training partners, I heard he was like one of the best fighters in the gym, but could never put it together in the cage. So that's another thing to keep in mind too. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Yeah, also, I can piggyback off that. I have a million people I've traded with my whole life in wrestling MMA that are dogs in the room and they can't put it out. And I know guys that are terrible in the room that when it comes to game time, they put it on. It's just one of those weird things when there's a spotlight on you, especially as an individual sport. But yeah, James, we'll let you get going, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys.